Hello, this is Dan Levitard. Welcome to South Beach Sessions. The two of the people on this podcast, Jamel Hill and Michael Smith, had a bomb blow up in their face in American sports. They hosted SportsCenter 6, and there was an objection because ESPN had become liberal the moment that a bunch of minorities ended up on air, especially on the signature ESPN property. And so that show went down in a heap, even though these are two people that I believe are excellent at their jobs and would have found a more substantive voice if they'd been given a little bit more support around what it is that they were doing because these things take time. Regardless, that is my opinion on what happened to Jamel and Michael. Here's theirs. If you've been paying attention over the last 24 months or so about everything going on in this country, you know that a bomb went off in the face of Jamel Hill and Michael Smith. And after they left ESPN, a similar bomb went off in the face of our show. And so I wanted to talk to Jamel and Michael just about the last 24 months. I really liked the energy and the enthusiasm that they applied to their job. I know I respect both of them as journalists long before they ever got to ESPN. I just wanted to get them together to sort of not rehash because I think they're both in a better place because of the healing and the freedom and the liberty. I dare say that Jamel Hill, Michael, made a hell of a career move in the middle of uh, crying in John Skipper's office, as we've talked about here on South Beach Sessions, and really being at the center of a very unpleasant storm. And I was curious as to how you experience this differently, because I've talked to Jamel about this on South Beach Sessions, and I've seen you in forms that I would say over the years, your confidence was a bit broken, and I was not used to seeing you not be confident because you started in this game younger than just about anybody. You had success in this game so early. You were in your early, weren't you in your early twenties and already writing a column? Weren't you already doing that? And and on television before any of us as a journalist, newspaper guy in the middle of the ESPN ascent of the journalist. Yeah, no, thank you. Um, It's funny, Dan, you kind of saw me at my worst. Because it's and it's it's cool for all three of us to be here because you know when I was uh when I was in the corner when I was in timeout so to speak after the six Jamel and for that matter Bomani they were like go do Dan's show it'd be so good for you you gotta do Lebatar's show you, it just to be in that universe in that world will just be so cathartic and it'll it'll kind of just you know help you to move on. And it, and it did. I mean, I, I told you this, Dan. I mean, I was just so appreciative of you welcoming me into that space with you and Poppy and the gang. And it did a lot for me. But you saw just how fucking broken I was. <laughs> you know what I mean? You, you, you saw because I, I remember talking to you post show because what happened with me and maybe Jamel is the better person to talk about me, strangely enough, because she knows me as well as anybody, especially in this context. I always thought I could work through it. See, the difference between me and Jamel, when the writing was not only on the wall, but on the internet that we were not long for that world. I'm like, oh no, we can figure this out. We can figure this out. We can do this. We just gotta, we just gotta work harder. We just gotta kind of adjust a little bit and tweak. I'm still naive enough to think we could work through this shit. And Jamel was like, nah, player, this this ain't it. <laughs> you know, and so um I I the frustrating part for me and and the the part that really kind of got to me was it was the first time to your point, Dan, about my career path. It was the first time that I had encountered something that I could not figure out, that I could not work through that I couldn't overcome. So that's what I think really got to me because it was like the work wasn't speaking for itself for the first time in my career. What did you see there, Jamel? I saw everything he just said is that, and the thing to me when I went back and was able to reflect on everything is that those signs were there literally from the beginning. I mean, before we even took air, there were signs there that eventually we were going to leave there not on our own terms. and. Again, everybody came in well-intentioned. Everybody wanted this to be a success, but there were just little creative differences that over time just grew worse. And particularly once we had a leadership change, it was obvious that we were not only unwanted, but they weren't going to hear us out. I will say the one thing that helped me get through that is my disastrous relationship training in that I was always the kind of person where if somebody didn't want to be with me or we were breaking up or whatever, I'm like, that ain't me. It's not me. It's something wrong with you. So I never, 
I didn't take it as a thing where this has got to be an indictment on who I am as a, a as a broadcaster, as a journalist. I was just like, no, nah, I'm just working with some people who are too fucking stupid to realize how good Mike and I are, and I'm going to let them have that problem. What I'm not going to do is spend a whole bunch of my time, energy, and emotional investment trying to change the minds of people who, frankly, I have to question whether or not how smart they actually are if they can't see what, to me, is very obvious and what has been obvious for a long time. So once, you know, those conversations about whether or not we were meant for long, they started long before Donald Trump ever even entered the picture. Like, that just gave me, personally, that just gave me the out I needed to get off the show. But these conversations were being had for a while. And I went through a small pocket where I actually thought that, to Mike's point, I thought, like, maybe we will because we were, we'll work through it because we, we actually, I want to say in the summer, we started to hit a little bit of a groove where it was just like, okay, we kind of figured some things out. But then the leadership change happens. It was like, oh, no, we are back to square one. And I was like, we're not going to get out of this either. So, yeah, it was, it was heartbreaking for me um, as Mike's friend to see him go through this while we were in show because, you know, Mike, the, anybody who's worked with him knows that he pours everything that he has available into something. Like he's going to give a hundred percent, if not more all the time. And when that effort or at least that investment is not returned, I understood when it was all said and done, why Mike probably between the two of us, not probably he did experience a much more deeper and severe heartbreak than I did because I was able to let it go before I even left Sports Center. You know, Mike was still caught up in the in the whole ecosystem. Well but there's a but there's a little bit more to it than that. I mean, you summer summer of sixteen, excuse me, summer of seventeen, um, you went you went from Jamel Hill, co host of the six o'clock sports center with Michael Smith, to Jamel Hill. Okay. So there was a transformation there. So your transition, therefore, from SportsCenter was going to look different than mine, just by by the by the very nature of everything that had transpired, right? And so you were already on to the next. There was more of a next for you at that point than there was for me. In addition to the fact that you already saw that train coming down the tunnel and where you were, because we talked, we spent many a day, even before the shit hit the fan, we spent many a day talking about how this just wasn't for us. I mean, because it was it was it was being systematically dismantled. Our on-camera interaction, and look, I got into some shit for talking publicly about that. About like, wait a second, wait, this is Sports Center with Michael and Jamel, but Michael and Jamel don't talk anymore. So that was already there. But when when it when you left, I was still trying to figure out Sports Center. You know, until they told me we no longer require your services here, I was still trying to figure it out because that's all I had at that point. And then specifically when Dan and I got a chance to work together. It was just frustrating because it felt like, well, what's next for me? Clearly, there's nothing next for me here, nothing on the horizon for me here. And what was hurtful, Jamel, more than anything, was that, and I don't want to say hurt, well, yes, part hurtful, but more shocking to my system is whereas, Dan, you obviously had an incredible career that preceded ESPN. Jamel had a, a long career that preceded ESPN. And honestly, Jamel, and it, 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 maybe some of this is personality, but also I think it's it's path because you, it's so funny to look back on these days. You know, you think about your early days at ESPN when I, you, I, weren't you just flat out told, like, we don't know what to do with you. You know what yeah, I mean? We don't, yeah. we don't know how to utilize you. Like you had, yeah. and even in just in your career, you had several newspapers. You went through some some shit. You went through some shit. At ESPN, I had a charmed existence, Dan. Like you, like you mentioned, I had a charmed existence. And so to then be not only like Sports Center was what it was. For me, the struggle was after Sports Center. And I'm just in this limbo. I'm like, well, why am I in this limbo? You know, so that was the, that was the part that was the, the, the that took the most navigating for me. I find it fascinating though that Jamel, your relationship history would harden you in a way. You would know yourself well enough, your cynicism and the hard, hard <laughs> path that you took. It's it's a ridiculous thing to say, given that Michael was a young black wonderkind in Boston. But in this particular equation, Michael's privileged. Michael has had he didn't have to go through the halls, uh, the hard stuff the way that you did. So he could be naive about this stuff and then heartbroken by it because you'd already you were wearing all the scars. Well, Mike, tell them what what is your uh, great relationship stat? You you've never been broken up with, correct? Well, I guess obviously I have. <laughs> <laughs> not by a woman, but I mean clearly I have yeah. been broken up. <laughs> yeah, right. But well, not 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 uh, 
personally, yeah, you know, <laughs> exactly. I was like, I see, I, I've had my heart broken before, so I know yeah. what that's like. You know, Mike got married when he was damn near 18, and it's <laughs> it a great marriage, you know, for a long, a long time. And so, but that can be hard when you're the type of person, and this doesn't just apply to Mike as well, for whatever struggles I went through, I was still, still used to succeeding, right? And then to be told that in some ways you're not measure, measuring up, and then even for the backlash, because it was a perfect storm of a lot of things that happened when we were on SportsCenter in particular, you know, when we were on his and hers, because the scrutiny was different. And be, because of, I think even then the type of company that ESPN was, and for that matter, what ESPN two was supposed to be, we fit into that system just fine. I mean, if people want to get on us for how much we didn't talk about sports and some of the things we did, the time to do that was when we were on his and hers because we just about <laughs> sit on his and hers, right? <laughs> Which is part of what attracted them to having us on, on Sports Center. But once we got to Sports Center, obviously the scrutiny is different. You have uh, it's the baby of the company. You have a lot more people who feel yeah. like they have input into what a you're lot doing. More cooks in that kitchen. Yeah, definitely. A lot of people who feel like they have creative license to tell you who you are even though you know who you are, but they still want to change and they want to alter it. And then throw on top of that this narrative about ESPN being liberal and too progressive, which only came when all the Negroes started showing up on TV for a lot of people. All the Negroes, the women, yeah, the Latinos thanks, Dan. came. Thanks, yeah, thanks Dan. Dan. That's really your fault. You know what I'm saying? It's like you you had to have a diverse show. You had to do it, right? We all had to kind of die on that cross. And then, oh, boom, it's layoffs. And then suddenly the yeah. reason why it's layoffs is because of Mike and Jamel and yeah. Dan and Stephen yeah. A. Smith. And it's like, if you had given all these people this money, Money, all these you know diverse and inclusive people money then you could have these other people so it's like all of that we had to take and that was tough I mean and the, for the company to not do much to defend us that was even worse and so we felt like they were willing to have us withstand and take all them strays while they were able to sit on their comfortable perch and oh by the way sort of reject much of who we were creatively at the same time so it was it was tough to deal with, but you know, thankfully, having been in enough disastrous relationships, I know when one is going to be over, and I know rather quickly. And so, I was just like, "Yeah, this isn't going to work." And what I don't do is like, I'm not going to convince you to be with me. I'm just not going to do that. So we're not, we're not going through that exercise. So you, if that's what you think, that's cool. Let me walk away, and we'll see who's right. At the end of the day, I'm going to need you're going to need me before the other way around. So. Michael, did you envy her, I won't say tranquility about it, because I know how hard it was for her and pressurized and awful. I mean, she's tough, but it was, I, I can't know what it was, but I, I have an idea that it was pretty horrible. And she speaks about it with a, a detachment that is hardened and healthy. Did you envy it? Um, No, I would say no, because hmm, never been asked it in quite that way. I think you have to understand our relationship to understand why I would say no. Cause I, I mean, in order I would have, there would have to be some separation between us for me to envy it. It's, you know, cause like we were both going through it. Like it was like this, we were, we were going through it at the same time, but processing it differently, obviously for different reasons. But when I say we were both going through it, I mean, I'm like, you got to understand like the grind and I know you do, but I'm saying like the grind that Jamel and I put in together to get to that point. So everything she was feeling, to some extent, I was feeling. And we were seeing the same things. We were talking about the same things every single day. Like you got the, the, the amount of time we spent before and after the show talking <laughs> about the show. Like a lot of people, a lot of on-air partnerships, they go their separate ways. They may be cool. Like we would leave the show and deconstruct the show all night. <laughs> to the point my wife is like, why are you on the phone with Jamel? I'm like, because we talk about the show. And this is, this is his and hers, the sports center. And so everything she's saying, not only... Do I know she feels that way? I felt that way, but it wasn't my dominant emotion. The opposite is true. Don't let Jamel fool you. She gave everything she had to try to make that show work until she couldn't give any more. You know, like everybody's got their point where it's like, okay, I can't do this anymore. But up until that point, even with the writing on the wall from the very beginning, she still showed up every day and did everything possible right alongside me to try to fit this square peg into a round hole. So she felt a lot of what I felt as well. It just wasn't her dominant emotion, if that makes sense. So it's not that I envied it as much as it was, we were very much yin and yang 
when it came to the show situation, we, we went through it together. I mean, and, and I, that's not to say that I experienced everything she experienced. I would never trivialize her experience by, by suggesting that mine was the same. My point is we were so joined at the hip, you know, and even now we joke about it. I'm like, like Jamel, you know, everything you say and do comes back on me, right? <laughs> so it's like, 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 I, I, like, I'm still answering for everything you do. <laughs> and I don't mind. And honestly, I don't mind it, though. I, I joke with her about it. But it's like we were such a, a pair and a partnership and two peas in the pod until it's not so much that I, I envied her tranquility. It's that we uh, complimented each other. Is that Am I saying that right, Jamel? I think we complimented. No, you, you are. I mean, I think that and also my default emotion is sometimes rage. You know, and so I'm more or less or rage or the middle finger. And it's like, I, and don't get me wrong. There are still, because we talked about this when you did my podcast recently, Mike, is that I am still upset about a lot of the things that happened, but just in a different way. Upset in the sense of kind of what great athletes go through when they're forced to retire is, you know, Mike said this earlier, it, it's one thing if we're the reason why things end a certain way. It's another thing when it's other people. And that's like never going to sit right with me. And frankly, it will make it almost impossible for me to forgive some of the people who I felt like were complicit in what happened. And I still, I can't forgive them. I can't even talk to them, you know, honestly. And so I know through like back channels, certain people have said like, oh, tell her I love to talk to her. I got nothing for you, bro. Nothing. And I don't know if I'll ever get over that. So we carry it differently. Like between the two of us, even though we both went through it in the moment, Mike would probably be, because he could be more, you know, zen and more meta about these things, that he would be much more likely to maybe, I don't even want to say forgive, because I feel like that's putting too much on it. But he'd probably be more likely to have a conversation with some of these people than I would. I would never. No, you got that wrong. No, you got you got that wrong. Yeah, you missed yeah, okay, on that. Right. One. You know me. You know me well, but more, that's okay. Right. I was like, yeah, I was no. trying to make you sound more magnanimous. Like that is not to say, you know, we just have different ways in which he said and in which he processed it. And I was just able to kind of let go in the moment, but that doesn't mean for life I let it go because I'm like, no, there's still parts of this that I have not let go. I've moved on, certainly, but I'm going to always hold a grudge against certain things. I think what's tough, what's tough, because, you know, even even though, you know, we have moved on, we still talk about it. And I think the reason we still talk about it is because it's it's maybe more relevant now than ever. Like, we're talking about something that was four, you know, five years ago, almost five years ago. And yet, given where we are as a country, as a society, as an industry, and even where our former employers are as a network, it's all too current. And I think the frustrating thing is to watch the evolution or the attempted evolution. And I say frustrating out of one side of my mouth, but on the other side of my mouth, I'll, I'll say my hope is that, you know, maybe we just were too far ahead of our time for our sake. But I, I hope that this, that maybe that the people who are in this moment now, who are carrying on these conversations now and or who are handling the intersection, who are, who, are, who are directing traffic at the intersection of sports and society now benefit from our experience. Because I, cause, cause this, this is, for me, it's not, and Jamal, I, I, you know, I know you probably get a whole lot of pats on the back, but I don't, I, I, I'm not going to speak for you, but I guess knowing you that it's not about being right. It's not about being on the right side of the history at this point for us, for you and for us. For me, it's more about the people who were not on the right side of history in the moment when it was right, as much right then as it is now, coming to terms with that and unpacking where they went wrong. And that's not just an ESPN commentary. That's 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 anybody who was, you know, anti-Black Lives Matter then or anti-Colin Kaepernick then or anti-social justice then. If you're getting on this train now, you got some atoning to do. You got some accountability and some reflection to do. If you if you if you're now riding this wave and going whichever way the wind blows. Jamal, he mentioned you getting pats on the back. I don't feel like Michael got a whole bunch of pats on the back. And I remember- Well, I didn't tweet it. <laughs> but the thing is, though, you used to say it. I, I, I have listened to some of our podcasts like during certain times. And even some of the things we would say on air, we were always taking jabs at the president, the former president. Oh, no. Like yeah. always. Like yeah. that's 
was not new. Yeah. We didn't no, do as much I, of it on SportsCenter, but his and hers, what? Like, yeah. Even, <laughs> oh, even yeah, on SportsCenter. Yeah. I mean, like, and, and, I, and yeah, I'm, a couple not looking, times. I'm not looking for it. I guess I'm, I'm just more, and I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut off your question. I'm just saying I, I, I think it's, it's not about, oh, see, we were right. Like, nobody wants to be right about that. But it's like, you know, I'm more looking at it not as like we needed vindication or validation or or any kind of proof that we were doing the right thing at the time or saying the right things at the time, or as the case may be, tweeting the right things at the time. It's about, well, why weren't why weren't more people seeing it then? Like if black lives didn't matter then, why do they matter now? And I just and I still have a, a hard time believing that everybody's not everybody, but that the people who find it so comfortable and convenient and trendy to say it and to stand with the movement for black lives. Why now? Is it just because you know that the that, that it's just that much more comfortable now? Or do you have you actually undergone a repentance in the paradigm shift? I'm still skeptical about the people who are who are in on this now. Forgive the framing of it, but what I was trying to say is that I apologize. No, no, that Jamel <laughs> ended up in a place that was better off and was good for Jamel. She couldn't have known that, but she spoke her mind and she got to be a conquering hero, whereas you sort yeah. of melted off to the side as the one who was joined at her hip on everything and catches the the strays whenever she says anything. I would imagine from afar, there are a couple of things I thought, and I can't give you the particulars, but the couple of things that I okay. thought as it was happening was, man, Michael is a really good friend and Jamel, <laughs> Jamel, and Jamel must be really heartbroken for him in some ways more than she is for even herself because I feel like she really cares about him. And he just got hit with the stray in a way that sent you reeling into a dark place fairly immediately and a dark imprisonment that she was able to free herself of quicker. Well, one of the things that Mike and I had talked it's about. It's pretty good, Dan. That's pretty good. Yeah, yeah, that is the Dan, you're pretty good at this. You're pretty good at this, Dan. You might have a future well, in this business. <laughs> one of the things that Mike and I talked about, both in the immediate aftermath of everything that happened, of the Trump stuff and the controversy, and before, around the time where I was orchestrating my departure from Sports Center was me apologizing to him several times over and telling him if I were in your position, I would hate me. Okay. Because I put a grenade in your life that you did not expect. You know, you came in one day at work expecting your career to look one way and literally in two weeks that changed. Okay. And so being joined at the hip, it was great for most of obviously our time together on air, but it also comes with the downside of, you know, much like a marriage, one person's decision affects the group, affects the two. So my decision to tweet sent his life in a different direction. And that was hard for me to deal with because I felt terrible about that. Mike never made me feel that way. He said to me a thousand times, like, I got your back, sis. I understand it's all good. We'll figure it out, was the most supportive friend ever. But yet in the back of my mind, I was in many ways insecure about that because I'm like, nah, he probably really hate me. He just ain't going to tell me. He's just not going to tell me. He don't want to say this to my face. Like, what the hell did you do? Like, I done messed up this good job. <laughs> he probably just like really can't stand me at this point. And so there was a period where it felt, our friendship felt awkward for me, not because of anything Mike did. I had to get over it. But Jamel, right? that's you never said that to me. That's yeah, extraordinary. I, what what, what yeah. period was this? Well, definitely after I left SportsCenter, because I remember the first time, I, I'm going to tell you when it, it probably felt the most awkward. Remember, I was in D.C. and you came in to host Around the Horn? Yeah. Yeah, we hung out a little bit then. Yeah. That's when it felt really awkward for me, because I was just like, I don't know, does he still like me? Was that like, the first oh, time I saw you? <laughs> yes, it was the first time you've seen me since I had left Bristol. So it was just oh, wow. like, yeah, we hadn't seen each other. And then... So when I, when you were on my podcast and I started off messing with you about the fact that I saw you appear everywhere else but on my podcast, I, I didn't oh, yeah. it personally, but I thought I was so like... So even up until your podcast, you still kind of were like a little, does, he, wondered, does he like, like me? Yes, there, no, maybe. Yeah, exactly. Really? <laughs> even though you came to my wedding and had a great time, I still was like, uh, I, I'm assuming everything's okay. But when these these wounds sort of resurface, when it, they're yeah. picked at, when the scab is picked at, is it hard for it? So like for me, it was a period of awkwardness that I I wondered if um if we were okay. Like I felt like we were, but it was hard yeah. not to let the insecurities of everything not get to me in a way, especially because you know of course 
you hear it on social media or even sometimes the way people sure. have written about and framed yeah. our partnership, they're quick to sort of sort of blame me for the reason that it, it broke up. Yes. And like, oh, and look at what she did to his career. And so I was carrying a lot of that. And that's wow. why there are some great. I wish you'd have, t- wish you'd have called and told me that. I wish I wish we I wish we'd have talked through it a long time. Damn, Dan, I didn't know you was a couples counselor too. Um <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, so, this is literally conversations we've never had. So, all right. Oh, and real quick, before you get started, and not only that, yeah. to your other thing, to your point, is like, I don't think that people on the outside looking in really understood the level of support and how much of a ride or die that Mike was for me during that moment. If it would have been left up to him, if he could have, I mean, he fought it as long as he could, but when I was suspended for those two weeks, Mike didn't want to do the show at all, right? He was willing to draw a line in the sand, like, this might be a either, you know, me or you situation in terms of like either you don't do this or whatever. So things were getting very testy with him in management in that moment. And so he held the line, you know, a, a, a lot. And so I, I think that, you know, people don't understand how difficult that is to do at a company like ESPN, particularly when you have the platform of being a sports center host. So in those moments, like Mike was totally willing to lay it on the line. And I was just like, hey, listen, I, I'll take this two weeks off. <laughs> It'll be fine. I'll clear my head. Like, don't sabotage this all the way. Like, you know, we I can't have you out here sacrificing all of your things at once for this, you know? So, all right. So we're talking about, now we've talked about, we've talked about this, Jamel, before, that when you tweeted that Donald Trump is a white supremacist, you did not tweet anything that you thought was some secret. Like That is true. Tweeted, I never thought it was controversial. Because you tweeted water is wet. To anybody who had ever seen water and touched water, you tweeted that water was wet. You didn't tweet anything that wasn't blatantly obvious. So I've told you this before. If we want to focus, if we want to like shine a laser beam from space, if we want to shine this laser beam on one tweet, even though anybody who's got a clue about it and you've just articulated it, our demise was in the making on the six o'clock sports center long before you hit sent. So to, to reduce it to that is unfair to you. And it's just not really recognizing what a bad fit it was for a number, a number of reasons. But if you want to reduce it to that, I hate that people think so little of, of our relationship or miss the big picture by suggesting that I would be angry with you. I told you this, like I'm, I wasn't mad at you for tweeting that the, Donald Trump is a white supremacist. I'm mad at Donald Trump for being a white supremacist. I'm mad at white supremacy. It's like, what would I, like, why would I be mad at somebody for articulating not only the truth, but a truth, as you just pointed out, that we both articulated in so many words, that we both stood in, that we both recognized. Like, it's not like we weren't just joining the hip because some producer decided, hey, let's put them together. We were joining the hip because we, we shared a shared sensibility and a shared approach and a shared mindset when it came to the content of our, of our, of our, of our, of our content, the substance of our content, I should say, and our approach to it. So it was never about being angry, you know, at Jamel, you know, because it was about the reality of the situation and, and why, why more people didn't recognize what was so blatantly obvious to anybody paying attention. I guess it took, you know, another four years and storming the Capitol for people to actually wake up to somewhat, some people to wake up, everybody ain't all the way there, but some people to wake up to what he, who, he, who and what he actually is. And I know present company excluded that. You've been on this for a long time yourself. And so the only thing that ever really angered me was some of just the false narratives about what the show was and also just the, just the fallout. Because, you know, even after SportsCenter didn't work for the company or for that matter, just everybody to continue to turn the blind eye to what this president, what this administration was doing day in and day out, what they were saying, what they were doing. I'm like, y'all really, y'all really just are either willfully ignorant or you're telling on yourselves in terms of who you really, who you're really aligning yourself with and what you're, and what, and what values or lack thereof you're aligning yourself with. That's what angered me more than anything. Uh, or just the narrative that we didn't do, we didn't do sports. Honestly, what pissed me off more than anything was most of the people talking shit about six o'clock sports center didn't watch it. <laughs> right. <laughs> like the, the people who were driving the conversations and the opinions about what yeah. we're doing, they weren't watching. Clearly, because it wasn't like we were sitting up there, you know, every day, you know, talking about 
we weren't 106 in part. We've been compared to free and <laughs> we weren't doing videos and she wasn't doing music videos. No, like, and we weren't and we weren't up there talking about immigration reform or You know what I'm saying? Know, <laughs> like that's just like we weren't talking about DACA, like none of that. Like what are they talking about? We we actually had conversations between the two of us. Because it, listen, after twenty-five mediocre to substandard white quarterbacks get signed and Colin Kaepernick does not. Oh my God. I know what it's you're like saying. Okay, how many more times can we say this same thing? So right. we sat, if I'm lying, I'm lying. Jamel, we sat back and said, like, look, we made our points on this. People know where we stand. Maybe it might be best for us not to continue to do that. If there's something different that happens, that's one thing. Something that we have to address is one thing. But we, we were aware of the narrative. It's like, maybe to, maybe we sit this one out today. Let Bob Lee handle that. <laughs> you know, Dude, I don't think people know life. how many, uh, not just Colin Kaepernick, Mike, how many conversations that we passed on in talking about like racial issues in sports where we would have had a completely legitimate entry point and producers would bring them to us like, y'all sure y'all don't want to talk about this? Blah, blah, blah. We like, no, we do not want to talk about this. And which is kind of messed up because we were that much in our heads and understanding that the perception was that all you two do is talk about race all the time, even though we didn't. We picked our spots, we took our shots, but trust me, Dad, in a week, they might bring us 10 conversations about race they think we should talk about, and we would talk about zero. Like 99.8% of the time, it was sticking the sport, regardless of what the narrative is that we were just wilding out and one day, you know, coming on TV, breaking down by any means necessary. Like that shit never happened. Like w that's why Mike can say without fail, the people who criticized us didn't watch the show. We were being sunk by shit that we didn't have any control over. Remember when we had Gina Prince Bicewood and Sanaa Lathan on the show? So Gina Prince Bicewood, who was the director of Love and Basketball, one of our favorite movies, she had a new show coming out called Shots Fired on Fox that was about that police violence dynamic, right? We were such fans of, of the movie that that's the whole reason we wanted her and Sanai Lathan on. Gina Prince-Bodwood wore a shirt that said, I think, feminist on it. I think that's what it said. Sounds, it it sounds about right. Yeah. Right? Next thing I know, we get off air. It's tons of stories about, you know, and you know who started this shit, Woke Center and all this. Like, we told Gina Prince-Bodwood what to wear on our show, right? And, yeah. and like, we had anything, and not that we would have cared either way, we didn't, but because of what was the perception of the show, that somehow became us, our fault. Well, speak, speaking of wearing, speaking of wearing, Jamel, like the fact that I wore Jordans and sneakers yeah. on the set. <laughs> right. our, our, our opening, our opening before, we, before we did like A Different World or Golden Girls, our opening video, which we did in the basement of Bristol, I had on a Marvel X-Men hoodie. There were think pieces written about me wearing a fucking hoodie. Like, and, 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 but even that, even that Gina Prince Blythewood uh, is not late an interview. Like, okay, that's 2016, 17, whatever it is. It's 2017, yeah. Okay, how is that segment perceived now? Right. And well, even though we, differently. But, but Mike, the thing is, we spent the whole segment talking about, you know, really basketball and sports. We talked about her new right. series because we were fascinated with the fact that Sonata Lathan had to learn to be a basketball player in 30 days. And so we talked a lot about her training or whatever, or with Chance the that, Rapper. That didn't matter. Them. That no, didn't matter didn't. To, to them. It didn't, it didn't matter because it was two black people talking to two more black people about black shit. It didn't and matter. And that's just too much. And it was right, that's just too much. much. But, but, but yeah. now, but if it happens now, it's just par for the course because that's what everybody's embracing now in an era right. where you log on to Netflix and you have the Black Lives Matter collection. That same interview, you pick it up and transport it into now, it may not, maybe I'm being naive, I don't think it gets the same kind of pushback because everybody's doing stuff like that, whether that's just sports and entertainment or just more black culture conversations. Hey, have you ever used Cheapo Air? For years, and I really like it. With Cheapo Air, you can book online, use their app, or even over the phone. They've got great prices on over 500 airlines and millions of accommodations. They're my go-to for travel planning. And if you join their Club Miles program, you can earn points to save on the cost of your travel. Book on the app and you get double points. Sounds like it's time I tried Cheapo Air. Call Cheapo Air at 855-247-3279 or visit CheapoAir.com slash podcast. You mentioned Black Awareness, Black History Month. 
I was having a conversation with Valerie just yesterday where I'm flipping through some of these streaming services and I was like, oh, that doesn't feel good. That feels a little bit like pandering where we're not actually celebrating black history. We're just being the popular thing of the moment that allows us to showcase movies that make us seem like we're enlightened because it's more allowed now than it was 12 months ago. And then I got to thinking about it. Well, maybe I should just ask black people how they feel about it instead of arriving at a point where I believe they're being pandered to. So I'm curious how you guys experience uh, everything from what was happening in the streets this summer to those corporate statements that all of a sudden went the other direction to ESPN statement, which was, you know, hashtag one team that you guys must have sort of marveled at. How did you guys experience all of that? Start with you, Jamel. So a lot of performative social awareness that was going on in 2020, where, you know, Mike said this very eloquently earlier, to wake up in 2020, given our racial history, given even just things that have happened in the last 10 years, like let's go back to Trayvon Martin, which to me was a real turning point in sports overall, with the Miami Heat deciding to do the hoodies and and really sort of kicking off, I think in many ways, a new wave of activism among black athletes. So what changed? The only thing that changed was the fact that we got to such an uncomfortable point and public opinion shifted to the point where they felt more comfortable in saying Black Lives Matter. For Roger Goodell to get up there and say we should have listened to Colin Kaepernick, I was just like, this is a Star Trek land. I don't know what's happening right now. And me personally, I judge you by what you do when it's not convenient and when it's not easy. I'm not going to judge you or give you any cookies or give you flowers when you do it when everybody else is on board. When you're the last people on the bus, right? They're the last people on this bandwagon right now, a lot of people in, in 2020. And I'm just not going to allow, you know, these corporations, certain decision makers to rely on the, oh, I didn't know and the ignorance excuse when we all got books and we all got Google. I'm out on trying to educate you and to make you feel good about your willful ignorance and also the the racism that you've been complicit in. Like, I'm not here to make you feel good about it. So I'm not teaching you shit. I'm not recommending any books. I'm not doing any of those things. You're actually going to have to do the work. And so Black History Month, for me, it's always an uncomfortable dynamic because it should just be American history, period. We all know this. But on top of that, it's dealing with the fact that we actually need a Black History Month. That's the thing. It's like, Still. we actually need it. and even though, again, Black history should be woven into all of American history, it's not. And the fact that we still need it is a very indictment on everything uh, in particular. But all these companies that put out those two social statements, I want them to also, along with those statements, post your organizational chart. Because see, that's what tells me where you really are with Black Lives Mattering. And for that matter, you know, what you think about Black progress. If you can't even Black progress in your own company, then you could just keep that statement. Like, I don't care about the, na the the Black National Anthem being sung. I care about the fact there's three Black coaches in the NFL and that consistently Black coaches are passed over for opportunities and the goalpost is always moving for them. That's what I care about. So you can put that inspire change and that end racism and it takes all of us. Oh, that's cute. But your organizational chart, your ownership, that tells me everything I need to know about what you really think about Black progress. So I just see a lot of blatant hypocrisy and a lot of very convenient messaging to try to be a part of a moment and realizing that the fact that, you know, black people still move the needle in many ways, feeling as if they have to pander the group to pretend and care. I'd rather you go back to not caring than you just sit up there and lie to my face about some shit you don't really care about. I grew up in a church, um, so I'm very sensitive to uh, people preaching after somebody's already preached. So is that a whole lot that I, I, I'm going to add to that? But I, I just, I, black careers matter too, you know, and black lives don't just matter in death. I've said this a million times. I mean, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, we're still on the life part. When it comes to black people in this country, we just on life. Liberty and the pursuit of happiness, we ain't even got there in a meaningful way yet. And, you know, the amount of, of people who are like, you know, who are, who are happy to just say the bare minimum. I mean, Michael Che had a great, great stand-up about just matter, like black lives, they just, they matter. Like that, that's not a whole lot to ask. Like they matter, like mattering is like at the, like the foundation, they just, they just <laughs> matter, great. It's like, but what about 
upward mobility, uh, economic uh, freedom, economic empowerment, educational equality, so on and so forth. I mean, those things uh, remain stagnant, to say the least. At best, they're stagnant in many respects. So I'll leave it there because uh, we just got a word and we could just open the doors of the church if we want. Let's play a game here where how well do you know your partner uh, just with one question? Because, <laughs> Jamel, I, I do. I'm curious. I'm curious. Asparagus tips. <laughs> how close you're going to get to write on this with Michael and we'll get Michael's answer afterward. But 100 percent pie chart. What percentage of the pie chart in terms of his decision to want to sit out the suspension with you is him just being loyal, ride or die? And what percentage of it is the easy nobility for him of, well, wait a minute, this is just the right thing to do. She hasn't done anything really wrong here. I'm just going to support her saying that water is wet because it's the right thing to do. Like what percentage is ride or die and what percentage is him saying, I should sit this out because being by her side here, while it is the hard thing, logically, it's a pretty goddamn easy thing to support my colleague, my black partner, this woman I love, this woman I have trusted with my professional career on saying something that is just the most obvious thing that she shouldn't get in trouble for. And frankly, we should have the FU money backing us on she shouldn't get in trouble for this because we can take some Trump Twitter hands. That's not the most dangerous thing in the world, but it was at the time for you guys. It was career ending to, to invite the, the Trump Twitter. Can you believe these questions, Jamal? Let's start with us. I know. Like, seriously, like Dan is like, (laughs) I can't can't believe. And that's a difficult question because in that pie chart, I'm going to say the majority of it is based off the ride or die nature of our friendship. But I feel I have to explain that because Mike did not disagree with my premise. Okay. At all. (laughs) He was, he has said just as much, if not worse, if you want to look at it that way about the former president than I have. And so he certainly always agreed with what I said, but I do think because of the battle and the struggles and the wars that we've been in together, that I'd like to think, I feel like I know that even if I was a little bit wrong in what I said, just on principle, might be like, I got to ride, you know, because we had been through those type of fights together already. I don't think we were ever put in a position where we disagree with what the other person said, but even if we, if we did, the level of our friendship and just the family like bond that we have, I'm riding for him anyway. I mean, he could have called a pig green and I'd be like, well, if you suspended him, I'm out too. Like, it's just what it is. Right. Because we always had very much a, it's us versus them. Even if we do like some of them, it's still us versus them. Like it's gotta be, that's the way that this kind of works. And when we were on TV together, we used to have this sort of rule that like we didn't argue in front of the kids. (laughs) <laughs> me and our producers or whatever like they never could say they ever saw they may have seen us debating things but they never saw all disagreements we reserve for in private for the two of us like, because give we, up hey give us the room right <laughs> we believe yeah. in a united front so yeah. to me the united front of the pie chart is what probably takes precedence so i'm going to say it's 70 30 right or die versus 70 30 almost with 60 40 first almost with 60 40 because look like it's a lot of people you may not be people at esp and maybe that you were necessarily as close to as me but it's yeah. a lot of people at espn that we consider to be good friends of ours and yeah. you know i don't know if you'd risk it all necessarily to say, <laughs> even if you agreed with them you know what i'm saying so yeah i mean i think it, it's dan tricked me i just want you to know this, this is very much a no trick no question. i got you i got you i got you <laughs> but i i do feel like because we believe so deeply in united front that that sure. was also a powerful component of, of that decision. You want my answer now, Dan? Yep. So I'll go to the other, other end of the extreme. I've cussed on TV twice. If they would have decided to suspend me for that, I would not have ex- expected Jamel to be like, well, I ain't working neither. So it's like, I think there's ride or die, but then there's but like, I yo, have. But, the, but, the way, but the way my, my account works, the way, the way my checking account works, the way my contracts is stipulated, like, I would have, you know, and so likewise, I mean, I think the only difference between the two of us, I know the only difference between the two of us uh, in, in, as it relates to the reality of the situation was, you know, married with three children and had, a, and had a contract that I did at some point have to adhere to. So I would say there's a third component to my mindset, my mindset when it came to that situation. It's, it's my love and affection and support for my sister. It is the 
principle of the matter, but selfishly, how the fuck would I look going up there doing TV after that? Like, cause I mean, if, if I go, if I go up there, like ain't nothing wrong, then I am implicitly, if not explicitly disassociating myself from a principle and a statement and a truth that I believe every bit as much as she does, you know? And so I thought it would have been a bad look for me. Again, it's, it's, I'm not looking for like cookies or, 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 or props. No, like, wait a yeah, minute. It, it, no, but Michael, me and Jamel made you a hell of a lot more noble than what it is you're doing. I like, know, uh, I that's what I'm trying to tell you. <laughs> I'm, I'm being completely candid about this. It's like, and, I, and I'm not saying it was like, I'm saying a couple of things. It is supporting Jamel, but you, you had it on the second one where it's like, it's the right thing to do. But I agree for me, for me, like I believe that he is a fucking white supremacist and anybody who's paying attention should know that he's a white supremacist. So it's like, okay, you could put a, you could make it a hashtag and say stand with Jamel, or you could actually stand. And it's not just stand with Jamel, but it's stand on the principle that she's espousing. And what she's saying is true. So, okay, I'm with her on this. So if I'm with her, I'm going to be with her. And if I go and I just, and I just push through, what am I saying? How does that look for me? It can be all of them. It was all three for me. And I told Jamel this, I told you this, that I'm like, I'm like, I can't go on in good conscience. And just keep it pushing, knowing that, wait a minute, right. she told the truth. And I believe in that. I'm not gonna sit up here and like and I just talk, we can't, we're not gonna be joined at the hip when it's convenient. We're not gonna we're not gonna be partners, and that's my girl, and we 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 you know, his and hers and this, that, and the other when it's good, but when it's bad, it's like, oh, I ain't, I ain't got nothing to do with that. That ain't me. I like no no sir. If it is, I ain't seen none. Like, no, I'm not gonna be that dude. <laughs> <laughs> So it's, I think it's all three things. If, if we're being honest, it's, it's it's support. It's the right thing to do. But also I have my own mind and opinions and, and Jamel's talked about it. Like I stand for the same things that doesn't, you know, I'm not trying to, you know, be self-righteous or anything like that. I'm like, this is, we needed to recognize what was really going on. And that's, and to me, that's the bigger thing. Like we are but a microcosm of the struggle that this country continues to have with playing with kid gloves when it comes not just to this president, not just to Marjorie Taylor Greene, but to white supremacy in general, we still dance around the shit, you know, and still and still try to like apologize for the people who are so blatant in their white supremacy and make all kinds of excuses for it instead of just calling it what it is. She called it what it was. And it, when it came time for the roll call after that, present. And let it let it be known too, Dan, that I think both of us are self-aware enough to know that if we step out there in a way that was not so favorable, just in the sense of like, if, if I said something that was truly like something that disagreed with Mike's value system, I would know that I did. And I would never expect him to sit out when I'm on the bullshit. Can I, right? can I give I you a great I, example? Can I give Because I've actually said this to somebody recently about what, what I loved about our partnership. Let's replace race with gender. Okay. Part of the reason beyond just how I was raised and the type of man that I am, part of the reason I'm so comfortable talking about gender issues and being an uh, unapologetic feminist is the amount of time I spent having somebody side by side with me who I knew would hold me accountable if I ever was in the wrong or somebody who I was able to listen to and learn from on that front, you know? And so I'll use me as an example in what you're about to say, Jamel, and say like, if I ever got out of pocket and said something sexist or misogynistic, Mm -hmm. there's no question that not only would you not quote unquote ride for me if I you know, were held accountable for it, but you would have held me accountable on the spot on live television. Right. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality. 
Did you guys have much trouble navigating? I know you've been married for a long time, Michael, but I don't know in terms of your relationship history, Jamel, the both of you, whether you had to navigate some stuff because you're so close, because you guys are talking on the phone, because you have this connection, this passion. By navigate stuff, do you mean people thought we were fucking? Well, you're. <laughs> <laughs> I was. Like, let's just, I mean, like, listen, this planet, this podcast has okay. no boundaries. All right. So is that what you're All doing? right. Fine. Okay, fine. Ask it that way if you want. I was trying to be, I was trying to be delicate about how the significant others manage their situation. You guys are extraordinarily close. It's a. It is a chemi- it is a chemistry that I could see anybody being threatened by because it's an unusual work partnership you guys had. You got it, Jamel. <laughs> well, I mean, it, it is different because different in this sense is like when Mike and I, uh, when we first met, he wasn't married. And I don't remember if he had met his wife, Sarah, at that point. But then fast forward, when we were at ESPN, you know, Mike had married. He got a bunch of babies. And I was a single one, you know, out in the streets. You know what I'm saying? And then I got in a relationship. Boyfriend became fiance, became husband and, and went through, you know, that kind of journey. And so I used to ask Mike, I asked you a few times, I was like, is Sarah okay with the amount of time that we talk? Because Mike is not lying. Like, we would literally be at work all day. And then on the way home, he'll call me, and we'd be on the phone another couple hours. Or, for that matter, when he lived in Framingham before he moved to Bristol to the area full time, you know, Mike would spend a couple days in Bristol. we stay at the same hotel. The staff knew us. And I think we even joked about the fact, like, damn, to somebody outside looking at it, it's looking like we having an affair right now. <laughs> because usually they would put us on the same floor. Oh, my gosh. Like, because we always say that, yeah, they would put us on the same floor. They're like, oh, yeah, we know you guys are, are like, really good friends. We go to dinner. We go to movies. Like, mm-hmm. all of that. And we knew that there were people. One, one key or two. We're in separate rooms. So, yeah. And we knew that there were whispers in the building. I remember Mike Hill even just straight up asked us when <laughs> we were yeah. having an affair. And it was like, yeah. uh, no, we yeah. are not. So it was, it is unusual, but I like to think that in many respects, you know, our friendship is a good model base because there's this idea that men and women can't be friends. And, the one thing I love, uh, many things I love about my friendship with Mike is that I think it elevates men in a great way because a lot of why people say that is because they look at men in particular and say they're not capable of or they don't have any self-control or, you know, they think, I think the worst of men is if the only thing women have to offer any man is what's between our legs. And so our friendship, I like to think is a great dynamic and a great role model for a lot of people to understand that the dynamic doesn't always have to be that. But when it came to Ian and I, uh, my husband, I don't think we, I think he, he's asked me before, like if we ever used to kick it and, or if we ever talked, he's like, it never like came up, you know, like anything. I was like, no. It, like, really? <laughs> I was like, no, it didn't. And I know that might be yeah. hard for people to believe. And, and look, some of it, they have to understand the timing also of our friendship. Again, we first yeah. met, both of us were, single-ish, I mean, and I put the ish part mo- mostly on Mike, because I don't remember what stage at when he was recording Sarah, but by the time we, like, really, really became friends, like, this is a deep family man, and he ain't got no prenup either, so, you know. Nope. None. None. <laughs> so like, None. He was not about to risk it all. <laughs> Thank you. So I, exactly. Exactly. No, um, first of all, I'm flattered, because, I mean, you know, the fact that y'all think that she could put up with me beyond what she already put up with, I mean, she, <laughs> she she knew how crazy I was as a work partner, let alone a day to day partner. Um, no, I, it's just uh, the only time it ever became a struggle, Jamal. And I, I told you about this was when I was commuting and spending a lot of time in Bristol, yeah. away from home for a few nights a week, and my my wife was home with the kids, two, and then eventually three kids. And then when I would come home and bring our work into the house, so I'm already. You're already absent. And then when you come home, you still like, don't you see her enough? Like my wife wanted more of me than I was given because I was letting work consume me. That was the only part, but it was never a direct, like, you know, it's something going on with y'all that I need to be aware of. It was, there was never any of that. I do want to say something real quick, Dan, I don't know where you are at on time. So I just want to throw something out. And I'd also like, if you wouldn't mind, I I do want to ask you a question before we go, but the quick last point I want to make on just that subject matter, because you said, uh, Good for men, Jamel. You said it was uh, elevated men. The thing I'm proud of, as much as we talk about how poorly things ended, 
and I don't use this word lightly because it gets thrown around too much, especially in sports conversation. I do think we do have, I do think we have a legacy. I do think there's a legacy attached to what we did. And part of that legacy and what I'm most proud of is, and Dan, you, you had a lot to do with it in your universe and in your orbit. You've been about the same thing about, about not only empowering black people and people of color, but women as well. Prior to Jamel Hill, I still struggled to find, and there've been a lot of incredible women that have been sports writers and commentators and even anchors, but I struggled to find a woman, black, white, or other, who had her own show every day that she was driving right alongside a man as an equal in terms of sports commentary. That is not to diminish or disrespect anybody who hosted a show, but nobody was, that I can recall, and I love to be corrected on this, nobody was driving the conversation the way that Jamel was with me. And now I wouldn't go so far as say it's normalized, but there are so many women who have followed since, not just at ESPN, but across the board. And I'm proud of that. I, I'm proud of I'm proud of the, the eyes that we opened and the doors that we opened and the conversations that we had and the, the foundation I like to think that we laid. But I do have one other question for you later, whenever you're ready to wrap up there. Uh, well, I was ready to wrap up and you got serious on me. I was going to wrap up with sort of the news breaking nugget, segueing off what you guys were saying. So the podcast would have a little light touch at the end where I broke the news to you guys and the audience that Stugatz and I have been sleeping together for 20 years. Nobody knows about it. We've been uh, you know, just straight banging after work every day. I thought that would be funny. I would have said head to foot. I would have thought head to foot maybe. But I, you know, <laughs> but I mean, went right. serious on me, and so I can't do it. And I fear you're going to get more serious now. So where are we headed? Where are we headed with your question oh, before I let you guys well, I don't go? Want, I don't want to ruin your flow. No, it's, it's, like, it's I mean, all I, not. It's, I, it was a poor way. I shouldn't have even brought it up to begin with because now that visual image is sitting in front of everybody, and it's deeply unpleasant. No, I listen. I, I, and I, I was when I was on Jamel's podcast, you can't expect me to turn off my curiosity, my interviewing. Like, you've asked us all the questions. We've been up out of Dodge. You just left, bro. And I would like to know, like, okay, I, I'll just put it in one question. Everything that you heard from us about our experience, but you already knew a lot of it. I love to know how it matches or, you know, reflects or mirrors even your experience, especially toward the end. Because you were, you were doing, the, you were having the same conversations. People think that, you know, Levitar and Friends was all jokes and all fun and games. Y'all held it down with substantive conversations as well as anybody on your show and so i love to know what your fight was like especially toward the end as it relates to what you just heard from us well here's the dirty secret right because i remember coming up one time to bristol and you guys were working together you were in a cubicle up there i think it was still just his his and hers at that point and yeah, I, remember I remember that both yep. of you going out of your way to say something along the lines of uh and it was very flattering that that we gave you guys some permission to try things and paint outside the lines. But you could speak to this, as you've already said, where the things that got Jamel in trouble on SportsCenter were things you guys were already saying and worse or more dangerous, but people weren't actually hearing it. The only difference between the support that you got or didn't get and the support I got or didn't get was that we were outside of Bristol. So there couldn't be that many cooks in the kitchen. And there's so much stuff going on at ESPN that they don't hear everything. So as long as I didn't get like major headlines, which is what happened to you guys, where you got turned into political tools that had been happening to me for 10 years with just Breitbart, but we just were outside of the place where a lot of people could be in our business. And so we were allowed to grow in that respect. And if you just left us alone, everything would have been fine. And then I probably don't need to tell you is that it didn't need to feel like support. It just went from being left alone to not being left alone anymore. And that one doesn't work so well for me because I'm 50 goddamn two years old. And at this point in my <laughs> career, I should be able to talk into a microphone freely as somebody who really, really values freedom. Like, if you just leave us alone, we wouldn't have had any issues whatsoever. But that's also spoken from a position of some Miami privilege because you guys didn't get left alone at any point, right? There was no leaving you guys alone. It was just uh, you had a podcast that was popular because you had chemistry. It was turned into a TV show. But you were probably happier when you were just doing the podcast and people were listening to it and you were just enjoying yourselves and you didn't have the burdens and rigidities of having to do television for executives. Well, I guess I would say probably the podcast slash, you know, his and hers, which I think probably in, in hindsight, I know you've gone through this, Mike, I certainly have, is I appreciate the his and hers television part 
so much more than I think I did going through it. Going through it every day just felt like we just, you know, John Snow with a sword and, you know, the <laughs> bastards and they all coming. Like, it just felt that way. And it wasn't necessarily from executives, but always from executives. So some They were in and out in terms of paying attention to our show. But when I think about our willingness to try crazy things and just the, the creative fights that we had look a lot different than what they look like on Sports Center. I mean, we our creative fights were pretty much limited to two or three people. You know, it might go up seven levels when you're on Sports Center when you have a creative fight there. And so I appreciate that process so much more. And I can look back on it so much with fondness because of what we were able to produce. And the biggest compliment that people used to be able to pay us is A, when they said they listen to the podcast and love it. B, when they still say to me and by extension, Mike, how much they loved his and hers. It still, it became a cultural staple, you know, it did. And I don't know if we even knew what we were doing. In fact, I know we didn't know what we were doing when we were in it, which is what, what made it so fun that we were just trying shit and like, you know, whatever. But I'd love to know, since we're turning in our interview hats now, I'd love to know this from you, Dan. What is the dominant emotion that you have when you think back on your time at ESPN and even the way that, the way it ended? I say all that to say is like, I think immediately I felt relief and then the anger set in. Right. And then I came out of the anger and it's more or less like I can reflect more positively on it now. So for you in this moment, what's the dominant emotion that you feel? The dominant emotion becomes difficult, right? Because you go through sort of stages. It was very difficult to leave the comfort. We I imagine we all looked at that place as a destination, a finish line, that that was the place that you arrived and there wasn't a whole lot bigger than that. I don't know if you guys felt that way, but I would assume from your journalism careers that that was the place that made everyone mattered, that turned us into, you know, from writers into important opinion havers. And so I, you can go through all of that grief and anger and relief and freedom. And at some point you arrive for your own sake so that you're not swallowing a poison resentment. You reside, you, mm-hmm. you arrive at sort of a thawing forgiveness where you can find gratitude because they also did wonderful things for all of our mm-hmm. careers no matter how no matter how complicated 100%. or difficult it was i do find myself disappointed though that it feels sort of like we lost a fight that didn't seem like it would be that hard to win because we all the we all actually love sports and want to talk about sports and weren't uncomfortable sticking to sports, but we got weaponized as political weapons because you were black and a woman or Cuban and you had, you know, you just had that perspective. Like I, I was fascinated. I couldn't believe it happened guys. I couldn't believe watching it, that it happened, that we had to bow out in sports to that president, to somebody that clumsy and overt. It wasn't even, you didn't even do us the courtesy of being subtle about your manipulations in a way that would have been strategically brilliant. It was, no, nah, it was just a club that got us out of there because there were too many too many black faces and women and minorities on, on television, and that wasn't the way to do it back then for some reason. It just, I can't believe that that's the fight that swallowed us because it seems like such a benign thing. It doesn't seem, yeah. it doesn't seem like there was a whole lot of actual controversy in what we were doing. It just got uh, hijacked. Shouldn't have been. Shouldn't have been. <laughs> you know, I mean, the, the NFL could put Colin Kaepernick in their videos on Super Bowl Sunday, but, you know, talking about him <laughs> and him being blackballed a couple of years ago, Apparently it was bad television. We'll so. do it again, okay? I'd like talking to you guys Please. about things that are not quite this biographical, just stuff. I'd be <laughs> I'd, I'd be happy to have you guys recreate any form of his and hers that you would grace us with an hour at a time. So if you guys want to rekindle uh, whatever it is that the chemistry Ooh. spoke to you guys there, you're welcome to do it here at your leisure, okay? Dan out here teasing, man. What is what is this? <laughs> I, I enjoy, I enjoy I, talking don't, don't. to you guys. I, and I don't want it to just be about the stuff. Like, I'd rather talk yeah. to you about... Mike, uh, Jamel, I think I told you this story. Mike is such a puppy dog. It was such an interesting thing to and, and heartbreaking to see his confidence stolen. But we're on the set of Highly Questionable. And I'm, I'm not here in any way, Mike. I'm just trying to do the job of... Of, of strengthening people at the company who could use some yeah. strengthening because there weren't a lot of platforms like that one where you could where you could be yourself. And I told Jamel this story and she recognized it. Michael, at one point, I'd gotten so used to just talking to the camera, Bamani would talk, mm-hmm. and it wasn't a conversation between me and the person. Michael asked me some sort of question 
about some sports topic and I just stopped taping, I, I think I might have paternally sort of tapped you on the hand and said some version of like, oh, Michael, I don't care about sports and whether the Vikings <laughs> are doing that much to answer that question. But Michael cared like that. That was one of the most screwed up things, Jamel, about seeing him swallowed by stick to sports. Michael would love to stick to sports. Michael would. Michael will talk your ear off for an hour on any mundane sports thing. And so it was just crushing to see his confidence taken because he was also so very good at it. Like that part, Michael, was truly heartbreaking to me where I was like, oh, Fuck, man, how could you break this dude? This dude was fucking strong. This dude knew what he was doing. How did this get broken? Limbo, man. Idle Minds a Devil's Workshop. And it's part of the reason. And thank you for that, Dan. And, and I, I told you how much I enjoyed being around you to just get out of that bubble and get out of my yeah. get out of my own head, even for a few days at a time. It's like, you know, I had so much time to replay and recreate and second guess. And, and again, like I told you at the beginning, I always thought that I could figure the shit out, that I could, it, whatever the problem was, Jamel will tell you, there was not a single thing that I didn't think I could will us or myself through. And sitting on the sideline that long allowed all the bullshit that had nothing to do with me or Jamel to get in my head. And I thought, I did fall victim to this. I thought that the fact that we didn't last in that spot was some kind of referendum on me, on us. I love you the know. clarity that Jamel, I love the confidence in it, Michael. Oh, wait a minute. No, this is a you problem. This ain't a me problem. Like, I I looked at that when no, she's... No, but, but you got to, but also realize, not just SportsCenter, Dan, sorry to cut you off, not just SportsCenter, but after SportsCenter, there was nothing for me. You got to understand yeah. where I went from SportsCenter. Mm -hmm. I went from being at that company for, for almost 15 years front and center to nowhere to be found. That's mm -hmm. a mind fuck, or at least it was for me, to like not have, other than Dan Levitard, or other than Eric Reinholm, and that's not just not saying mm -hmm. other, like you guys weren't fantastic, but my family came checking for me. You, Tony, Bomani, Reinholm, y'all had me, but in terms of the company that I had been one of the leading NFL insiders for, a host, an anchor, nothing. So I'm like, well, what does that say about me? That's the part that I internalized. Not that Sports Center necessarily didn't work as much, even though I thought I did think, okay, what could we have done differently? But that was like, a, like you said, a perfect storm. After that, I thought, okay, well, I'll pick up and do something else there until I realized that there was nothing else for me to do. So that was the real, the real issue for me. Now that I'm back doing it, your boy got his confidence back, thankfully. But being around <laughs> you, man, you know. We will do it again if you guys are willing. Always enjoy talking to you. Love you both. Yes, Thank sir. you for making the time. Yes. Thank you. Thank you, Dan. Appreciate, Appreciate it. You. Thanks for listening to South Beach Sessions. In coming weeks, we will have announcements for Meadowlark Media. The pirate ship has been floating at sea here for a couple of months. We will have some announcements about who is joining us. In the interim, what we need from you is we need you to subscribe, rate, and review on the Levitard and Friends podcasts, whether it's South Beach Sessions, Mystery Crate, whether it is Stupidity. We ask you again and again, Levitard and Friends, the podcast network, and the Dan Levitard Show with Stugatz. We need your support here as we head into port to figure out where it is we're going to dock with a new partner and what our future is going to look like. But South Beach Sessions for a few weeks in the coming weeks will be introducing you to some of the people who are scampering aboard the pirate ship. We'll tell you more about that in coming weeks. Do you have any more pirate puns, Dan? Scampering aboard? Scampering aboard, port to dock. Um, I feel like we're sinking. <laughs>